Hello, and welcome to Live and Improvised. In this episode, I'm going to develop a theme that I mentioned in a previous episode about Mbira music, the idea that Shona Mbira music is participatory. So let me set that idea in its context. The idea comes from Thomas Torino, who is an ethnomusicologist, scholar, performer, and I describe his idea as a grand unified field theory of music. What if there's a way you could understand all music, all performances on their own terms, regardless of your, of your knowledge about the specific cultural or historical context of that music, regardless of your knowledge about the musical fabric of that, of that performance. This is what Torino's fields do. He came up with the idea that you can organize all performances, all music, all recordings into four major areas, participatory music, presentational music, high fidelity music, and studio audio music. So let me tell you short descriptions. So participatory music, the area that we're going to focus on in this episode, um, it's a way of describing a live performance. Presentational music is also a way of describing a live performance. You can contrast these with the two recorded fields, high fidelity and studio audio art. So with participatory music, your goal is meant to involve everyone. Everyone there is present, everyone there is engaged, everyone there is involved in the music making. This contrasts pretty sharply with the presentational music, which is the style of music we're most familiar with in the West. It's a type of live performance where the musicians are playing for others. The musicians are active, the others are passive. So this is one of those key distinctions. I think that you know, Western music education will be vastly enriched by this concept. In the West, we have this distinction of musicians and non-musicians. Some can do, some can't. But in participatory cultures, they don't have that distinction. Um, if you went to a Shona Bria ceremony and they invited you to join and sing, and you said, oh, no, I can't do that, I'm not a musician, they probably wouldn't understand what you're talking about because the distinctions there are between participants and po potential participants. Everyone has the same capacity to engage in musical performance. This is one of those things that if you learn it from a very um, early age, it's, it sort of gets in your bones. If you take it for granted, you take this idea that you can be musical, you know, as, as, as a statement of fact, just like in the West, you take this idea that, oh, well, I can't be musical, I'm not in choir, I'm not in band, I'm not in orchestra. We won't get into the, in the politics of that at all. So with participatory music, we'll take Shona music as an example. I'm going to contrast it with an example of presentational music just to help clarify the, the style, stylistic differences and the social differences between the two. We're going to ignore, ignore high fidelity recordings and studio audio art recordings for now, simply for the sake of time. So if I'm a participatory musician, my goal is to get the maximum involvement from everybody else, whether it's sonic involvement, whether it's bodily involvement. Um, we, they don't have that the really sharp distinction we have between music and dance. If you're there, you're participating. It doesn't matter if you're singing, dancing, clapping, any of that. The goal for a musician is to get everyone involved. That means if everyone isn't involved, you're not playing well. It doesn't matter how well you're performing as an individual, it matters how much you're contributing to this group atmosphere where everyone feels like they can participate, which again is a very rich and very wonderfully democratic idea. Contrast this with presentational music. If you go to an Indian music concert, you're going there to see someone who's playing at a higher level than you can play, and they're playing music that they prepared ahead of time for your interest. The same thing with jazz, the same thing with Western classical music, and the same thing with a lot of rock performances. You're going to see other people and they prepare music ahead of time and they're going to play it for you. You don't need to do anything. You're just there. You're sort of the passive recipient of this. It sounds kind of boring in contrast to participatory music and you'd be right. So if I'm a participatory musician, I'm understanding music in a fundamentally different way than I am if I was a presentational musician. Participatory musicians are understanding music as a social activity and something that's created among face-to-face -face participants, which helps distinguish it from the recordings. If I'm a presentational musician, I'm thinking about music as an activity that I'm doing and an object. It's like a sort of a thing. It's uh, music gets reified in this in this concept. It becomes a thing that's created and presented by my group, the musicians, for another group, the non-musicians, also face to face. 
Again, you can see it's a fundamentally different and much less hierarchical structure with participatory performances. Participatory performances emphasize the doing. Everyone there is meant to be engaged. Whereas with presentational music, you can understand this as there's doing for the musicians, but there's not doing for the audience. Yes, you can argue that active listening is a, is a way of involving in the performance, but not nearly in the same way as getting up on stage, dancing, singing, clapping, etc. This obviously has different social roles, which I've been hinting about this, as, as participatory music being more democratic. With participatory music, there's very few musician-non-musician distinctions. Again, you have participants and people who are potentially participating. Whereas with presentational music, there are very clear musician and non-musician distinctions. Presentational music has things that emphasize these social roles. So the music, musician group, um, you typically paid to see them. They didn't pay to see you. The musicians are typically on a stage. They typically have microphones. They typically have lights. There can be other physical barriers like security or the sort of psychic barrier of you know us versus them. Contrast this with participatory music. There's nothing to distinguish participants. There are a variety of roles. Some are playing instruments, some are singing, some are dancing, but no one person is any more or less important during that participatory performance than anyone else. So when musicians are making that music, when participants are involved in this performance, they're focusing inward. They're focusing on other participants and they're focused on the act of doing. It's a moment by moment sort of flow where everyone becomes one, it sounds sort of sort of crazy or sort of like hippie, but they become sort of one conscious being and their focus is on one another and the sounds that they're creating. Whereas with presentational music, the musician's time and attention is on themselves. It's on what they're doing. Sometimes they can be focusing on the audience, but it's more to make sure the audience is paying attention. There's not that exchange. There's not that back and forth. There's no interaction, typically, in presentational music. Even in, for example, in Indian music, when people say kabate, or you hear applause after a particularly exquisite solo, or in jazz, after everyone sort of, it's a convention that after everyone solos, you clap. There's not, there, that's an exchange back and forth, but it's, it's fairly conventional. It's not got the spontaneous back and forth that participatory interactions do. It doesn't have the potential to shape any manner of the performance. If I clap or if I don't clap after the saxophone is solos, it's not going to impact anything the musicians are doing. Whereas I am participating or not participating in a participatory performance, well, that's going to impact things because I'm a performer. So along these lines, you can't really even have the idea of an audience with participatory music because that involves somebody who's, again, not involved, someone who's passive, someone who's just sort of there. Whereas with presentational music, the audience's time and attention is very important. It's the reason musicians are there. Their attention is outward. It's focused on the musicians and on the sound. It's on the act of, of hearing what these musicians are creating moment by moment. So as you might imagine, musics with such fundamentally different social roles, goals, conceptions of music, conceptions of, of interactions with other people are going to sound different. Um, let me play you some examples. These are all from Stella Chueza's Chigamba, and they're going to exemplify some of the traits of participatory music. Participatory music typically has feathered beginnings and endings. Um, so what that means is you typically don't have everyone start and end in an organized way. Some people will start playing, others will join in, momentum will build, and the exact opposite process happens at the end. Let me play you the very beginning of Chigamba. We're going to hear the Kushara part, then the Quinceanera part, then the Hosho, then the vocals. It's a very clearly delineated feathered beginning. The ending is similar, and the ending, it's sort of just peters out, everyone sort of stops playing, it slows down, it dissolves like paper and water. Contrast this with presentational music. So if you go to an orchestral concert, there's typically a very clear beginning, the conductor raises his baton, and there's a very set moment in time where the music starts, the 
conductor typically stops at the very end. There's a set moment in time where everything ends. It's organized. It's very clear. The same thing happens even in improvised presentational music. If you take Hindustani music, it's a very clear organization at the beginning. And the performer is introducing the alap, as introducing the notes and the and the moods and the, the chalan, the, the characteristic phrases of the raga. Whereas the ending typically ends with a group of tihais that signal very clearly to the audience, yes, there's building rhythmic momentum, there's building rhythmic energy, and there's definitive ending point. Along those lines, participatory music doesn't have as much use for virtuosity. It's downplayed because you would be showing off, it wouldn't make any sense. You wouldn't be contributing to the overall structure of the group if you were playing at your highest level possible. It doesn't matter if you're the greatest Embira player, you sort of rein that in, you sort of let that aspect of your musicianship go in the hopes of creating this larger atmosphere where everyone's going to participate and everyone's going to be involved. Again, this makes a stark contrast with presentational music, whereas you're going to see people who are emphasizing their virtuosity. If I'm going to an orchestral concert, I'm going to see a room full of musicians who play better than I do. Same thing with a Hindustani concert. You're going to see people perform at the highest possible level that they can at that moment for you. Some of that has to do with the goals of this music. Again, with participatory music, the goal is to get everyone involved. So if you have a group, like a super group of Embira players, and you're just a lowly Hosho player, you might be a little less willing to, to rattle along with them, or you might be a little less willing to dance along or to sing along with them. Whereas if my goal as a presentational musician is to keep you focused on what I'm doing, I need to play at a fairly high level because you're not doing anything. There's only so much people can sit and watch sort of mediocre playing. They want to see someone play at a very high level to sustain their interest. Along those lines, participatory musics are fairly repetitive. They wouldn't necessarily think of these things as repetitive because, again, it's the unfolding moment-by-moment happening of the piece that's important. Whereas, again, with presentational music, there's much more contrast balanced in with this repetition. So, for example, let me play a bit of Chigamba again. You'll hear a lot of repetition. The Hosho part repeats more or less the same throughout the entire performance. The Gushara and the Quincinera parts are varied some. There is some improvisation, but it's not improvisation. It changes the structure of the piece. There's vocal improvisation, but there's a lot of repetition with that as well. Again, I find the contrast with presentational music handy. If you're going to see a Hindustani performance, there's going to be a lot more contrast, and it's going to be fundamental contrast. Yes, there's a ghat, there's a theme that's being used as a basis for improvisation. Yes, there's a raga, yes, there's a tala, there's these pieces that are repeated, but they're repeated far less often, and they're varied much more heavily at a fundamental and structural level than they, are, than they would be if this was a participatory performance. Repetition and contrast sort of go hand in hand. Um, again, with the participatory music, there's few dramatic contrasts. You don't want there to be a lot of dramatic contrasts. If you're someone who's a little, a little more timid, a little less experienced, and you join in and all of a sudden everybody but you knows that everybody needs to get quiet or to get loud or to suddenly change tempo, then you're going to look out, you're going to stand out, you're going to feel foolish. And again, it won't be creating this sort of atmosphere that lends other people, encourages other people to participate. Whereas with presentational music, you have as many contrasts of type as possible. So with an orchestral concert, you have um, contrasts of timbre, of orchestration. Um, you have contrasts of tempo and speed. You have contrasts of form and structure. You have contrasts within the larger program of what the orchestra is playing. With Hindustani music, you have contrasts of, again, of structure, of tempo, of speed, of variety, of interaction. The goal is to keep a static audience's attention. So you have to have more contrast and less repetition. Whereas with participatory music, the goal is to encourage participation. So you keep things smooth, steady, um, stable, and it encourages folks to join in. It might surprise you then with a lot of the imperial music you've heard that you're going to hear a lot of the same rhythms, a lot of the same meters, and a lot of the same groove over and over again. There's much less contrast in that. Whereas again, with an Indian concert, 
Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of variation in terms of the rhythms that are being played moment by moment. There's contrast with the meter and the tall that are being played. There's contrast with the tempo from structure to structure in the performance, etc. The texture is probably the biggest difference for Western listeners or for listeners who aren't familiar with participatory music because the textures are very dense. Again, there's a cloaking effect. The goal is to get people involved, so they want people to join in, so the texture is going to be buzzy, indistinct. There's going to be a lot of rattling. Again, so that way you can sneak in, sneak out. It creates a space for participation, whereas with presentational music, you have transparency, clarity, there's a variety of textures, all of that is leading to contrasts, all of that is leading to things that are going to make a static audience focus specifically on what's being performed for them. Form is another major distinction. A lot of imperial music can sound fairly repetitive. And again, if you're just sitting and listening to imperial music, that's not the original goal of the music. That's what the recording you're listening to was made for, but it has no real relationship to the original social function of this music or the social function it still has. With imperial music, you have short, open, redundantly repeated forms, that 48-bar cycle that gets repeated over and over and over again. Again, contrast that with presentational music. Forms are closed, they're scripted, they're much longer. If you go to an orchestral concert and they're playing Beethoven's Fifth, you know what you're going to get the entire time. If you're going to an Indian concert, you know what's going to happen formally. There's going to be moment-by-moment variation as musicians improvise on that form, but you know you're basically going to move from slower to faster, from less dense to more dense, the form is much more structured because that allows for more contrast. So I hope these concepts make imbira music make more sense. Again, it's it's an odd format to present this music in because I'm presenting it in an audio format and I'm presenting it as a presentational style of music. But if you keep in mind that a lot of what's happening will make sense bearing in mind the social roles, the, the musician's goals, the focus of people's time and attention during a participatory concert, hopefully imbira music will make more sense and will become hopefully an introduction to this whole rich world of music making that's unfortunately has largely left the West behind. Or perhaps it's better to say the West is let it behind, but that's a whole nother podcast. We'll have more in beer and music in the next mix. Enjoy.